Hello and welcome to the ABC News Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC's Catherine Folders, White House Reporter. All right, Catherine, uh, John Carl uh, not with us this week, so you're fitting and ably. And it's very fitting that we have you in today because you were our Ben Carson reporter, our embed reporter for months and months and months. And who do we have lined up today? But the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Mr. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary Ben Carson. Secretary Carson. Spent a lot of time on the road with him. You remember he was a front runner there I for do. a while. I do. I do. It <laughs> seems like a long time ago, but he is now the Secretary at HUD. And we're going to talk to him about a lot of the hurricane relief efforts. People don't think about this, but of course, displaced people need housing. And that's HUD's responsibility. A lot of people in public housing that have to recover, a lot of loans involved. So a uh, mission of that agency, very important. Important. So we're going to talk to Dr. Carson, Secretary Carson, in a few minutes. Uh, also, uh, you know, this 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 presidency never ceases to amaze. Uh, Chuck and Nancy are the new besties with Donald. Who knew? My friends, Chuck and Nancy. My friends, Chuck and Nancy, <laughs> and, and we learned that they're coming over for dinner uh, at the White House. In addition, and and bipartisanship seems to have broken out. The deal last week that the uh, President Trump now whining and dining with lots of Democrats, not just Chuck and Nancy, but other Democrats on tax reform. Uh, gosh, Catherine, where did this come from? Look, tax reform, health care, they really realized... And they already the, did the debt ceiling and deal. They, yeah. and they, exactly, and they already did the debt ceiling deal. That's where the, the friends, Chuck and Nancy, came to light. And you saw that photo of uh, the president embracing uh, Chuck Schumer in the Oval Office. Yes, working with the Democrats, bipartisanship. We're seeing it um, in dinners last night. We're seeing it again um, today. He's having uh, people over, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, uh, there tonight. And and, and I was uh, just having breakfast the other day with um, the president's legislative director, uh, Mark Short, who said, you know, we're not going to make the same mistake uh, we did on health care. You know, we realize that, you know, maybe we can't get this done with just the Republicans. We want to embrace the Democrats. We're going to be reaching out to them more and working with them. So you're seeing that here. But then it kind of also begs the question, are, are you isolating other agenda items um, with this partnership. Yeah, and the question about the limits to this, and I think you, quickly you run up against some realities. One is the realities in the Republican Party. Uh, it so happens that Steve Bannon is out there making noises about primarying some some Republicans. It so happens that the dynamics in the Democratic Party don't particularly favor it. This, this outreach to Democrats comes on the very day that a bill is dropping in the United States Senate. 15 Democratic senators calling for single-payer health care. That's hardly a way to set up a negotiating session with the Republicans. Uh, and, and I think there are real policy limits in addition to the political limits when you to think about what could be done. All of that said, Catherine, if President Trump shows a consistent willingness to work with Democrats, that changes the game, doesn't it? I mean, that that changes the, the typical power dynamics. It, it, it almost neuters the House Speaker and the Senate Majority Leader if you don't need their votes on things. You don't need to even try to corral the office, which may be President Trump's point. Look, it, it totally changes the game. And you realize that the president really hasn't been the biggest fan of um, of Mitch McConnell. Um, he's uh, sparred a little bit with uh, Speaker Ryan um, on on tax reform. When you talk about the corporate rate, you know he wants a fifteen percent corporate rate. He's doesn't agree with um, Paul Ryan's twenty two point five. So you're right; it sets up um, a different, definitely um, a different dynamic here. When when really it it seems like he's more on the side of of the Democrats, and he's really embraced them more. Um, you know lately. Vis-a-vis policy. And, you know, what's striking to me is even during the health care debate, Rick, 
um, when he wanted to get Republican senators uh, on board, he was having them over to the White House. Um, the president often referred to Republicans in Congress as as they. Yeah. Um, yeah. really setting up this interesting dynamic. It's like now you have three parties here. You have the president, they being Republicans on Capitol Hill, and then you have the Democrats. Um, so it definitely changes the game and interesting to see how it's going to play out, especially with tax reform. They need a legislative win here. Yeah. And it, it, uh, and I talked to one prominent Republican this week who made the point that uh, without tax reform, it's almost game over for Republicans. They're looking at a prospect of a wipeout of a midterm election and chaos before then, because the one thing that is keeping them united right now is that prospect of tax reform. It, it's got Wall Street on board. It's got the economic folks on board and has kept together a very fragile coalition. If they go out and court Democrats, if this is a Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi tax bill, that kind of feels like chaos. It is a little bit of chaos. And I think the White House is, you know, thinking this is going to be easier than it really is, right? Tax reform is complicated. Tax reform is difficult. Then you have to think, you have Gary Cohn, who, yeah. in you know, Gary has had a little bit of a rough time recently in the White House, but, but you have Gary, who, frankly, um, will probably work well with Democrats, um, on tax reform, but it is it is setting up a different game. And the, the White House thinks, you know, they're looking to put a legislative win on the board. They think, you know, okay, health care didn't go as planned. It was a lesson learned, as uh, Mark Short described yeah. it just the other day. So we're shifting to tax reform, but it's, it's really not that easy. And especially when you don't have um, the president presenting a specific outline saying, okay, Congress, you know, now it's up to you. Now, granted, he's having them over and having these discussions. And the White House says they, you know, hope to release a, a blueprint on this soon. But no, it's it's not easy. So let's take a, a bit of a step back through all of this, Catherine. We, we can say this about any, almost any week or two week stretch of the White House, but this is an odd period, uh, an, an unusual period at the White House. The, the, the storms, of course, these two hurricanes back to back, one in Texas, one in Florida, have absolutely battered uh, the, 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 the Gulf Coast and have captured the nation's attention. So it means the president, for the first time in his presidency, he's gone through a sustained stretch where he isn't the top story. He isn't the center of attention. It allows for some quiet work. It allows for some dinners like these. It allows for him to to show himself in a in a position that I think he's been pretty well received for as just a, a not a healer in chief, but a manager in chief, someone who's out there and, and running the federal government. Again, we'll talk to Dr. Carson in a few minutes about one aspect of that. But what has it been like at the White House? Has it felt? Have you felt it as a more disciplined time? Uh, kind of more sober time. It's just it seems to me like it took these two big storms to calm down the White House. It's a good question. And, and you know, I'm over there every day witnessing this. You say it's an interesting time uh, at the White House. It is. It's calmer over there. I mean, I think the word that I would use to describe it is more measured. measured. I think the president understands that in the cases of Hurricane Harvey and Irma, um, he needs to take a step back a little bit. I think he has done that more with Irma compared to Harvey. Um, he was a little overly optimistic um, with Harvey. Um, it, but it's definitely more measured over there. He's he's taking a step back. He's very measured with his with his tweets. Um, he's letting, you know, state and local officials take the lead. His homeland security advisor, Tom Bossert. Um, 
observing from behind the scenes, yeah. um, get, constantly getting updates, of course, from the federal government, um, from FEMA, from uh, acting director um, Elaine Duke, um, but waiting until the moment is right to jump in and, and to be on the ground. We know he's going to Florida um, on Thursday, uh, tomorrow, so he'll be down there. Um, but he is taking a more measured tone to approaching these storms. He knows, um, the White House knows that these are defining moments. We think about um, former, you know, past hurricanes and how presidents reacted to them, like former President Bush, for example. Um, so he's very careful not to, you know, create any optics where this could look but so bad for him. And I want to put some perspective on all of this because in these very strange, you know, just absolutely crazy news times that we live in, Charlottesville was a month ago, right? I mean, a month, a month, a oh month ago. So it was a month ago that you had, I think, pretty universally seen as a low point for this president, for this presidency. Yes. Barely a week ago, he rescinded DACA. So these things are moving extremely quickly. One of President Trump's talents, and it's actually something Hillary Clinton even gives him kind of a grudging credit for in her new book, uh, is his ability to just own a news cycle and use the fact that, 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 that things move so quickly to just replace something with something else and be out there talking about something. And the fact that he's able to refocus attention uh, as quickly as he had off of some of these very low points and some very controversial points to this, it shows, I think, a level of discipline that we haven't seen from him before. Absolutely. I mean, it does It does show a level of discipline, and, and that could be attributed to some of the new folks coming in to the administration yeah. and, and his measured um, responses to some of these issues. But exactly right. I mean, we think about Charlottesville a month ago. We think about uh, DACA. We haven't heard um, from him much on that. So you're right. It, 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 you're seeing this new level of discipline. And I, and I think in the past month or two, whether it's with the Russia investigation um, you know, not tweeting that it's a witch hunt. We haven't heard from him on that in a long time, whether it's um, DACA or Charlottesville, as you mentioned. It, it is a new level of discipline, and you could definitely feel um, that new level of discipline being in the West Wing. And I, I hate to use the word normal, but there's a sense of um, normalcy in a sense. Yeah, and I, 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 look, we always hesitate with this. We're a tweet away from going back into some other chaotic realm or the next campaign rally, wait for that. But it is a time where the president is able to to lay things out and start to work on some big priorities. Now, the consequences of failure, I think, are, are enormous. And I think that's one reason he cuts this, this temporary deal on the debt ceiling is this would have been a very insane legislative month if you're talking about the debt ceiling and government funding. Uh, now you, you put that off a little bit, you're still going to have a day of reckoning on that. And you're still going to have to make a heck of a lot of progress on tax reform. And I think no one really believes that you're going to start with a Schumer-Pelosi um, bill on that. You're going to need to get Republicans on board for a similar package that addresses the deficit. Maybe we see something more modest ultimately, but there's a lot of work that still has to get done on that. A lot of work that still has to get done. I mean, you say we're a tweet away. Um, <laughs> every morning I, I get tweet notifications on my phone from the president. It makes this noise about 6 a.m. And I'm saying, oh, no, is, is this it? Is, are we a tweet away from another, um, not disaster, but another news cycle Per se, but yeah, a lot of work, a lot of work to get done here, and especially on tax reform. Um, and hopefully, a lot of that will come out of their meetings today and tomorrow. These uh, bipartisan meetings that they're having over at the White House. But look, when when they released the original plan on tax reform, just when was it? It was was it in April, April or May? This, this was, was that, like one it was the, the one page yeah, yeah. bullet points exactly, yeah. and. 
that's fine, but it, we still have those bullet points in a sense. But, you know, there still really isn't, isn't any plan. The president needs to acknowledge that he he still has a lot of work to do on this, too, as does Congress. But but so does he. And, and, and of course, he's going to be getting out on the road. He could visit up to um, as many as 13 states, I yeah. think the White House is saying. So definitely a big a push from him there to go out and and sell this. But at the same time, um, the White House will say that when he's when he's going out there and giving these speeches about uh, tax reform, he doesn't really want to talk about the how, how we're going to get this done. He wants to talk about why it's important. Well, we were talking about this a couple months ago. So you're right. Still a lot of work to get done. The meetings are a promising sign. Um, but, you know, it, what comes out of them? And, and Mark yeah. Short mentioned, you know, there's this small window that they want to act on now. It's a matter of days and not weeks. Yeah, and I think that there's a willingness to cut deals yes. because he likes to be liked. He likes to cut deals. That's a more comfortable position for President Trump. Absolutely. The deal maker president. All right, we're going to take a short break right now. And when we come back, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Dr. Ben Carson. Hey, it's Rebecca Jarvis, and I wanted to tell you about my podcast, No Limits. We bring you a new guest with a new story every Tuesday. We're talking to trailblazing women across a variety of industries to hear about how they've built success and carved a unique path. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Just search No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis and subscribe today. Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo from Good Morning America. Like so many people, I've struggled to find that perfect balance between health and happiness. Name a diet, I've probably tried it. Crazy workout plan, yep, I've done that too. But I learned it was my approach that was actually weighing me down. After losing 90 pounds, I discovered it's not just about reaching a healthy weight, it's about finding peace and freedom. I have a podcast called Motivated, focused on all things health and wellness. Join the conversation. Search Motivated on Apple Podcasts and subscribe today. And we're pleased to be joined right now by the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Carson, Secretary Carson, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. So I want to start uh, on the news. We're going to talk about some of the efforts that HUD is engaged in uh, down on the Gulf Coast. But uh, the news coming in that uh, Chuck and Nancy are coming back to the White House, another uh, dinner at the White House. Now, I, I, I recall back on your, you ran a, a generally, I would call it non-ideological campaign. And you talked a lot about the need for bipartisanship and solutions. But what do you make of the president reaching out to Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and is there a deal to be had, do you think, on even health care that you could reach with Democrats? Well, you know, one of the interesting things watching the reaction of the people after Hurricane Harvey is how neighbors were helping neighbors. Everybody was helping each other, and they weren't asking them whether they were Democrats or Republicans. Maybe, maybe the leaders could take uh, an example from the people themselves. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see the president reaching out uh, to to the other side because the fact of the matter is we're all in the same boat and if part of the boat sinks the rest of it's going down too so we need to start thinking more about the things that benefit all of us and, and get away from this partisanship I, I think that uh, when you look back historically at nations before their fall particularly strong nations they deteriorate from inside, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. We must recognize that all of those who are trying to create divisiveness are not doing us any favors. 
Mr. Secretary, do you believe there's actually a deal to be had with Democrats on health care? Uh, I think it can can be uh, had without question. Uh, you know, health care, what do you have that's more important than your health and than your life? And, uh, you know, that's not a Republican or Democrat issue. And I think if we were to go back and start asking ourselves, what is the purpose of health insurance? Why did it come about in the first place? It was to keep you from losing the farm if you became ill or were seriously injured. And we've allowed it to expand to the point where we want a hangnail taken care of. Uh, And that creates lots of opportunities for waste and fraud and abuse. So if if we go back and we just ask us what are we trying to accomplish and then create something around that that is centered primarily around patients and health care providers, I think we would do ourselves a great favor. I don't think that's a partisan issue. Dr. Carson, quickly on, on health care, I remember um, when you endorsed um, then uh, a candidate Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago, you said that you were going to focus um, on education, on health care reform, of course, before you took your new role um, at uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. H- have you been involved um, with the administration's efforts on, on health care at all and reaching out uh, to Democrats on the other side? Well, I've had an opportunity to talk to a number of uh, senators and congressmen uh, about what I was just saying. Uh, We we need to understand what the purpose of health insurance is. Only when we understand that are we going to do what we need to do. So, you know, I'm hopeful that that will have an influence on people as time goes on. Mr. Secretary, I'd love to talk a little bit about housing and urban development, what you're doing at HUD uh, in response to these storms. A lot of people don't think about the big effort that you have. But what is the mobilization like on the ground? And, and as of now, how do you feel like it's going? And do you have the resources you need? Uh, our staff uh, and our volunteers have been out there from uh, the very beginning, uh, particularly quickly assessing what's going on with the people who are supported uh, through various HUD programs, uh, finding out where the people are, uh, looking at their residences, uh, determining what can be salvaged, uh, what will need major repairs, what will need replacements, uh, and uh, what can be immediately uh, re-inhabited, which is quite a lot as well. But all of that takes, uh, you know, boots on the ground, and we've, we've got those going on. But in addition to those who are supported by HUD programs, traditional HUD programs, you also have to look at all the people who have, uh, you know, FHA-insured mortgages. Uh, you know, that's a lot of people, and uh, we've made programs available for them. Uh, there's been a moratorium on uh, on foreclosures. Uh, we've uh, made mortgage insurance uh, available as re as well as rehabilitation insurance, and even combining those uh, to the point where you can do a hundred percent, you know, FHA mortgage-backed uh, uh, insurance. So these kinds of things are are making life much easier for a lot of people who've been affected. Um, Section 108 loans, you know, for local infrastructure, for rehabilitation, for economic development. Uh, All these things are ongoing and will continue to be ongoing. You mentioned the boots on the ground and all the ongoing uh, efforts. Of course, this is definitely a long-term recovery effort. Um, 
And as you know, the president has proposed these steep um, cuts to to your agency uh, around six billion. Are you going to have to assist, you know, in assisting and helping rebuild these areas? Are you going to have to request more assistance, more money? Well, do uh, recognize that uh, CBG and CDBG DR, disaster relief, are two completely different things. And uh, the names, that's a lot, lot of letters you just dropped on <laughs> Help us, us there. out there. <laughs> community Development Block Grant. Got it. Okay. Community Development Block Grant Disaster Relief. Two different things. The Disaster Relief Program is not affected at all by the proposed cuts. By how, the, how, how does that work? Uh, walk us through that. How, how is the disaster relief not? It's a, it's a different program. Uh, and it's specifically meant for disaster relief. And we know that there's going to be continued disasters. So uh, no one was really interested in, in any way impeding that function. So does, does HUD's mission overall, though, have to shrink if you're going to have a, a budget cut on the order of $6 billion? Well, uh, one certainly has to become much more efficient. You know, there, there are duplicative processes going on. Uh, a lot of bureaucracy and inefficiency, all of which is being worked on. Uh, we're already seeing some significant gains in those areas, particularly you look at things like continuum of care for permanent housing solutions. Uh, you know, I think we're actually going to make a tremendous amount of progress. And uh, in terms of what monies we have, whatever monies we have, whatever the final budgets are, we're going to use it in a most efficient way. So we're going to be able to get more done. Dr. Carson, you you talk about the efficiency here. I, I want to ask you about the vacancies um, at your agency. Uh, you said in an interview a couple months ago that you've been forced uh, to very rapidly learn um, a lot of stuff. You mentioned that you have um, excellent people around you, but are those vacancies in, in terms of how you um, are, are finding your ability to respond to these disasters uh, affecting you and your agency in a negative way? Well, of course, it would be much better. If, I mean, there's a reason that those positions exist, you know, like deputy secretary. <laughs> and uh, in this particular case, uh, our, our deputy secretary nominee is someone who used to run, uh, you know, community planning and development here and was in charge of uh, the disaster relief. Uh, would it be helpful to have such a person, uh, particularly at a time when we've just faced two national disasters? Of course it would. And, you know, it's particularly irksome that uh, that politics would get in the way when we're talking about the American people and what's best for them. Uh, would it be good for us to have a general counsel? Of course it would be good to have a general counsel. Um, and, and most of our other uh, assistant secretary positions. Uh, would it be great to have, you know, an administrator for the MHA? Of course it would. Do I find myself engaged in lots of conversations, you know, about mortgages? Uh, probably more than I need to be, but I have to. Uh, and it's okay, and I'm not complaining, but it would be much better if, in fact, we had our people. Secretary Carson, uh, as I'm sure you know, the president is meeting today with uh, Senator Tim Scott, the only African-American Republican uh, senator. And, and S Senator Scott was very critical of the, the president's response to, to Charlottesville. And I'm curious, from your point of view, as an African-American, grow growing up a black man in this country, your thoughts on Charlottesville and the president's response. Did you see a both sides, as the president did, uh, that needed to be respected uh, and, and understood 
in, in what happened in Charlottesville last month? Well, you know, I certainly understand, you know, why people feel threatened, uh, why they feel that somebody's disrespecting them, uh, you know, based on the statutes. I do understand that. Uh, I also understand that there is a difference uh, between people who were anarchists, who were trying to overthrow the United States government, and people who were slave owners. And a lot of people are not making that distinction. Uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, uh, a great intellect, was a slave owner. Uh, George Washington, uh, you know, the father of the nation, was a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson, a slave owner. But none of those people were trying to overthrow the government. So they also I, weren't white supremacists. I mean, that that was a difference. They weren't marching on behalf of Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson. These were these were Nazis. Yeah, but but here's what I'm about to say. What we need to do is actually sit down and discuss what these people did and who they are, and how we want that to be reflected in our history. Do we want to just obliterate any memory of them? Uh, so that this kind of thing crops up again? Or do we want to make sure that people understand why that was bad and that there are lessons that we can learn from it? You know, and I know there's some who say, no, let's just get rid of it all. We never want to talk about it. We never want to think about it. Uh, But I'm not sure that that's the right way either. But it is not, as far as I'm concerned, an issue that is dictated from the top. I think it's an issue where people themselves have to get together and discuss what is it that they want in their communities. That's why we have 50 states. That's why we have multiple communities. Uh, People have freedom to talk about how things should be done and how they want them remembered. I I would love to see a situation where if you're going to have a statue of of someone who perhaps is controversial, why not have... uh, something by that statute that explains the situation so that our children become educated about the issue rather than indoctrinated. I hear, I hear what you're saying there. You're talking about, yes, the need to sit down uh, and discuss these issues, uh, something that you talked a, a lot about on the, the campaign trail as well, Dr. Carson, um, in, in these communities and in the need uh, for dialogue. But in your in your opinion, I mean, was there violence on on many sides? Do, do you believe that? Uh, is there violence all over our country right now as people are trying to divide us? Absolutely, there is no question about it. And here's the sad thing: I think a lot of the Americans who get caught up in this are actually decent people but they've allowed themselves to be manipulated into believing that they're enemies and that they should hate each other and that they should try to destroy each other. And this is exactly the wrong thing. Before we let you go, uh, Secretary Carson, uh, I want to ask about the, the, the rally that the President Trump had in Phoenix. It raised some eyebrows. We saw some ethics complaints that, raised, that, that came out of it that suggested it was a violation of the Hatch Act. I'm curious how that came about, why you decided to attend that political rally, and, and have you endorsed President Trump for re-election as he, as he go, engages in these campaign events? Well, first of all, uh, I, I hope you know that... Uh, after all the investigations, it was concluded that I did not violate the Yeah, was, I, I, saw that, I saw that opinion issued, yes. Okay. Um, you know, 
it's it's a symptom of what's going on in our country. Instead of looking at what is the purpose of that rally, what was being said, people running around saying, did he violate the Hatch Act? You know, how are we ever going to get anything accomplished if we spend all of our time on foolishness? But it was it's a political just, rally. I mean, that's the, it, was a, it was paid for by the Trump campaign. It wasn't an official White House event. You know that. Well, the purpose of uh, the Trump campaign paying for it, though, is so that all of that doesn't go on the taxpayer's bill. He's trying to save the taxpayer's money. Now, if, if, if he did it the other way around and it wasn't a political uh, rally and it was, you know, taken out of the coffers, then there would be complaints about that as well. Okay, Dr. Carson, I have two more questions for you. The first is, I'm sure you remember that uh, snowy day in Iowa where <laughs> I challenged you to a game of skee-ball, and we won't say who won. I think they, you definitely totally destroyed <laughs> me. <laughs> so question number one is, are you uh, still keeping up your skee-ball game, and do you have time to play uh, your favorite hobby of pool, given uh, all the new demands in your new job? Uh, one must always take time out to relax. So I, I do have a pool table at home, and uh, I go home and look at it sometimes. Well, I'd like to, I, 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 you go home and look. I'd like to challenge you to Looks another game it. of skee-ball sometime soon. Yeah. It would <laughs> and, be fun. And the last question uh, I had for you, and of course this is uh, when you were in the process of being vetted for a, a cabinet position um, in this administration, you said, um, you know, having having you as a federal bureaucrat, you would feel like a fish out of water. Um, some of your advisors said that, you know, you probably wouldn't be accepting a government position because you didn't feel prepared to uh, run an entire agency. Do you still feel like a fish out of water? Well, first of all, I never said that I wasn't prepared to run an you agency. You didn't. I that, said, of course, that, your advisors. That was that was his interpretation, which he came back and corrected, but nobody talks about that. But, um, no, the fact of the matter is I, I think that all the things that I've been through have prepared me very well uh, for this position and uh, for reorganizing the way that HUD actually works. This is what we're doing. We're changing it to something that actually works efficiently. And you'll see some very, very big things happening. Uh, next week we'll be announcing all the, the big changes that are going on. But uh, I, can, you, can you give us any preview of those? Uh, how much are you willing to pay? Oh, wow. <laughs> Forget the Hatch Act. <laughs> no, but, but one, one of the things that, that we've done, instead of uh, a top-down agency change, is we've talked to the people who have been here for 10, 20, 30, 40 years uh, about the kinds of things that would actually work and that would be effective in creating an organization that is actually responsive to the needs of the people. Uh, that's happening. We've hired a COO, uh, a real operator, as well as a CFO uh, is coming, and a CIO, uh, so that we can begin to take a more business-like approach to the way things are done, bringing accountability uh, to uh, all the different divisions, working across the silo together. Uh, all of these things are, are happening al already uh, and will continue to happen and will make a huge difference. You'll, you'll see a, a gigantic difference. You know, looking at things like inspectors, you know, we've gotten rid of a whole dozens and dozens of inspectors who were passing properties that were not passable. Uh, 
those kinds of things are no longer being tolerated here. All right, Secretary Carson, we appreciate your time, very generous with your time. Good luck uh, down in the zone. I know you were traveling with the president uh, late, later in the week. Uh, we look forward to having you back on to talk about some of these big changes. Thank you. Thank you. It'll be fun. Dr. All Carson. Right, take care. Appreciate it. So, Catherine, I have to ask you, because you covered so many Ben Carson events and, and traveled around the country with him. Did you ever think, did you ever think, secretary of anything, I mean, serving in a Trump administration, you remember what President Trump said about him back when he was a front runner? You know, just a couple months before Iowa. I mean, what a what a journey. But remember, Rick, when when Carson and endorsed Trump, they buried the hatchet, yeah. as he says, right. the, the political hatchet. So, of course, you know, all of that is behind them. I, I, um, I feel like they shouldn't <laughs> talk about hatchets. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> between uh, yeah, knives, between the two of them, between right? Knives, ha- none of it is good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, no, I never. And of course, you, you heard me call, still calling him Dr. Carson, yeah, Dr. Sure. Carson. Um, no, I didn't think that um, there would ever be, you know, a secretary position involved here. And, you know, when I did, I thought maybe health and human services. Yeah, sure. Um, given uh, Carson's background as a neurosurgeon. Um, but housing and urban development, not so much. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he shakes things up. It's undeniable that, the, that, that HUD will have to do mm-hmm. quite a bit less uh, given the, the budget restraints and what the reorganization looks like. You never really think of him as a bureaucrat. Uh, you know, he's got firsthand experience of growing up in public housing, but he doesn't have any kind of managerial experience in this. And, and like a lot of members of this cabinet are kind of new to this game and totally. uh, learning just like President Trump is. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics, our political podcast. You can rate us on iTunes. Please do so because it helps other people find the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Klein. Where can they find you, Catherine? At K Falders. At K Falders. All right. Follow us both. Give us feedback about the show. We always love to hear it. This episode uh, was produced by Megan Hughes, Avery Miller, and David Rind. Uh, we appreciate your listenership. Thanks for being here. John Carl will be back soon. And uh, click on us next time. <laughs>